Most are afraid of unknown depths, skirting shores thinking world flat. And with the island girls in celebration of new religion. Nobody led me or said this way. I sailed alone on makeshift raft with wind as companion. Fate for deliverance, confidence enough to assess new disposition. Seekers of lost paradise may seem fools to those who never sought the other world. Welcome to Momentary Zen with Zen Garcia. Visit www.fallenangels.tv. You're listening to Revolution Radio. Hello and welcome, friends, and thank you for joining us for another live broadcast. I'm your host, Zen Garcia. This is Momentary Zen here on Revolution Radio. And I'm honored and it's a great pleasure to bring on Gary Wayne, uh, the author of the Genesis 6 Conspiracy and what will be a soon uh, release as well. Gary, how are you doing, brother? Doing very well and so happy to be uh, back talking with you again tonight. And yes, very much uh, looking forward to my new book called The Genesis 6 Conspiracy, how understanding prehistory and giants helps to find end time prophecy. So it's going to be an interesting sequel because you can read the books independent, but I think one will want to go back and forth between the two. So, uh, yeah, really looking forward to getting that out and uh, just going through the process now of going through all the details of of getting it published um, and working out the details of that and the editing and the the marketing and stuff like that. So still still work in progress and uh, don't know whether it'll be out, uh, you know, it won't be out in the next month or so, but hopefully, depending on what the publishing queue is going to be like, uh, I'd like to have it out before June, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see. I have to get into the publishing lineup, so to speak. <laughs> well, I know everybody is very much excited and that you have a, a lot of fans out there uh, uh, with regard to your research and that a lot of people are looking forward to your follow-up um if you would can you share your social media contacts and where people can go to find and support the work that you do have already published and released terrific yeah thank you so the best way to get a hold of me or to find my book and that's uh, other than uh, speaking that's the only type of uh, income i uh, i tend to accept is is the book sales and speaking um, when uh, there's a, a a profit on the conference that makes that available, then I would accept that at times. But so Genesis6Conspiracy.com, Genesis6Conspiracy.com is the uh, website. That's with the number six. And on that website, I have a generous excerpt of all 98 chapters of the first book. I will put up uh, a generous excerpt of all 85 chapters uh, of the new book as well off the same website when it becomes available and I'll probably look at through my social media Facebook and whatever else I'm going to be on I'll be making those decisions fairly soon uh, and through the website an ability to get a hold of me and uh, put your name down for a copy of that book 
Uh, I'm not quite yet ready to take names, but I want to sort of get that official and organize it so I don't miss anybody. If people want to book before beforehand, that will be available. And on the website, you can purchase a copy of my book uh, and get a signed copy. So if you do, if you'd like to do that, then you go to the Buy Now page and I've got three different pages there. I have a, a US page for all American customers. I have a Canadian page. I have a page for the rest of the world, so to speak. So if you're outside of Canada or, or the US, go to the overseas page and uh, I will ship you a book from there. If you wanted to link over to barnesandnoble.com, or Amazon.com or Amazon.ca uh, and or to the Kindle version for the get a digital copy. I have those links right on the buy page as well. So that's the easiest way to get a hold of me and my uh, book. And if you did want to contact me for some information, uh, then get a hold of me through my website, which is on the uh, media page where you do that and where it says contact Gary Wayne for an interview. It's a highlighted line. You click on that. And that will take you through to my uh, Genesis 6 conspiracy at gmail.com email. So that's the best way to get a hold of me. Well, I'm very excited about the show topic and also the release of your book. Um, this is something that you and I, when we've done a number of shows together and we've spoken about in detail uh, about Atlantis and the giants, the fall of the angels, the war in heaven, the previous earth age, and how all of that is really important for understanding the legacy of the second world age and the, you know, the current 6,000 year, 7,000 year timeline that we find ourselves in. But um, th when uh, I released my last two books, um, which are about the antediluvian age and the uh, reign of the dragon lords, there wasn't a lot of material. I mean, in fact, I don't recall finding any books about the previous world age, the antediluvian age or the pre-Adamites um, out there. And so this is a topic that has been um, pretty much not even really considered and not greatly spoken about and yet again understanding the end from the beginning i do think it's important that you know people really look at and come to a sermon on what the bible regards as you know the earth becoming without form and void and when you look at the that phrase the haya wabohu in the hebrew that it really becomes clear that there was something that led up to the earth becoming uh, an indistinguishable ruin and a deserted wasteland. That it wasn't created that way. It wouldn't make sense for the Most High to create the earth in an imperfect form. And so, and then also considering and looking at worldwide the numerous structures, the cyclopean, the megalithic architecture that we find worldwide and that are in a lot of times uh, aligned to the stars or to celestial um, alignments and are done and created in a manner that we cannot replicate in this day and age. And so for scientists to 
declare, you know, that we evolved of monkeys and that the whole theme of evolution and that somehow uh, in our hunter-gathering past, we were able to create these kinds of cities which still stand today and are without a doubt a witness to things we do not understand supernatural circumstances which people are just now starting to consider and i do believe that the bible speaks about these things and covers um these things in great detail it's just you know most people don't look at or not learning hearing from the seminaries or sunday school teachers anything about the fallen angels the war in heaven the rebellion of the watchers all of that and how in my opinion it ties to this and so can you speak about in regard to your latest book are you covering these kind of issues talking about these things which i believe you are and revealing um kind of the legacy of what we have from all of that lost knowledge and uh you know the ancient traditions yeah not not quite in into that level of sort of prehistory but i will make some references to that because it's it's sort of all relevant so mm-hmm. um when i'm talking about the prehistory I, I i do a lot of that type of prehistory in the first book so i don't want to be i don't want to be didn't want to be redundant for the second book but what I cover off in detail in the second book is the notion of the angelic hierarchy when they're created, that's before the creation of the heavens of the earth, mm-hmm. and that there's a connection to that creation and likely, as you've mentioned in Genesis 1, 1 to 2, that there's a destruction in uh that verse that is recorded there because you, as you say when you get into tuhu and boohoo uh you get into this idea of a world being ruined or decayed or, or destroyed shakoth basically kind of similar to the destruction of at the flood but not with the flood as being in the same kind of level as what's done in genesis 1 1 to 2 with that complete destruction and then you have a renewal of the earth that is going on with the spirit that's hovering over there and that's relevant to psalms 104 which gives other details on the creation process and the creation of the angels but there's an interesting passage in there that says when he sends a spirit the earth is renewed and i think that's all talking about this renewal so when you look at that destruction by fire that's talked about in Second Peter as a, as as an end time prophecy, and, and I make reference to this in in the book, is that um, it, you know it it says something to the effect that uh, the heavens of old and the earth were standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world was then overflowed with water and it died or it perished. Right, perished. 
Right, and this is the world that's reserved for, as that prophecy goes on, is a world that's reserved for fire, which is that apocalypse of the end time. So it's important to understand this as the context for that passage, and that if you understand that word perished or died, the whole world didn't die with the flood. It was just what was on the earth. Right. And the other significant difference is, is that part about the water, about being in the water and out of the water and being overflowed with water, so if you sort of look into some parallel accounts, just as, and not to use this as the measuring stick, but to sort of use as a good example, is that you have this chaos that's part of creation. And once that chaos is taken care of and it's stabilized, then you can do the creation process as the polytheist version goes about it. Now that doesn't give you the pretext for the destruction, but it does start to go to give us an understanding of what that chaos was. And that's the chaos of the waters above that collapse onto the earth below. Mm -hmm. And so in the renewal of the earth, you have to have that reseparation of that water to create the firmament that's from the sun yes. and in so that you can have the creation of day six. So you get all of that that is sort of uh, part of that whole uh, what I would call a New Testament sort of dual prophecy in Second Peter. And I talk about a dual prophecy in uh, the second book. And a dual prophecy is, I think the best standard would be Ezekiel 28 or uh, Isaiah 14, but there's several of these prophecies. And within that, you have details that specifically go back to prehistory. And so like mm -hmm. with Satan in Isaiah 14 as being either the cherubim or the one who's trying to raise his throne to, to heaven in Ezekiel 28 and 14. And then you have a prophecy that's specified for Tyrus and or in Isaiah 14, you have the king of Babylon and you have the Assyrian all in there. So you have a prophecy that is designed for the time of the prophet that has interesting information about prehistory mixed into it. And then that prophecy dually has details for an antichrist type figure and end time prophecy that you need to understand those details of the of prehistory to know what's going on. So you have Satan that's going to try and move into heaven uh, and, and set up his throne there. Antichrist figures do that throughout history, and we'll probably touch on that with Nimrod as we get into the subject later tonight. And also, Antichrist in Daniel eight through uh, Daniel eight verses eight through ten is talking about storming heaven, and mm -hmm. that's the same timing of the passage in Revelation twelve, where you have the war in heaven after Antichrist comes to power. So you get that sort of connection. But in, in the book, in terms of a lot of what I cover off on the really deep prehistory, I'm just covering off the angelic creation and the hierarchy of the angels. So I, I look at sort of the standard dogma, uh, whether it's uh, Dionysus of uh, the, uh, uh, or the standard church doctrine, that's basically the same sort of thing. I reorganize that hierarchy and give people a better way of looking at it. I still give three sort of columns to the to the tiers, but I, I put four watchers out in the front where the archangels tend to be part of the third arc, uh, hierarchy, which seems rather out of place in my sort of reckoning things. But it's important to understand that because the 
invisible forces that run this world, led by the prince of this world, Satan, they have a host as well. And that's the Hebrew yes. word Saba for an army that has rank and order. So from the assembly of the gods, which I spend a lot of time, not a lot of time, but a fair bit of time in the book on, um, that's talked about in Psalms 82 and how it relates to the 70 nations both before and after the flood in Deuteronomy 32 is the are the invisible ones and the rank and order that is running this world and that the visible ones, their spurious offspring and followers sort of replicate that with their authority on this earth. And that's what is going to be taken care of in 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 the end time and so it's all interconnected so if people want to understand end-time prophecy you just have to understand the history so that includes how the earth would have become destroyed in the end time or I mean not in the end time in in prehistory genesis 1 1 to 1 2 and understanding for people who aren't familiar with what we're talking about there's two ways of translating genesis 1 uh, either the world became void and formless or the earth was form and uh, voidless and form formless. And so it's just a matter of how you want to translate that first word. And then once you get into the other words and you get into other passages in the Bible, some of the ones that we've stopped, talked about, and I think you were also referencing Isaiah 45, that God doesn't create anything in vain, right, right. that um, <clears throat> you have to understand that context of that rebellion to understand not only why we're here, but that the Adamites and the epoch of the Adamites, which includes the end time, is to be the resolution to that angelic rebellion. And so you need right. this information. So that's part of what I talk about in the book as I connect those types of things into the end time prophecy. So I have sort of say about uh, two-thirds of the book on giants and prehistory, then a third of the book on end-time prophecy and providing a, a chronology that people can start to work with. And also put in what my approach is there as well so people understand how I arrive at my at my conclusions. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, also, the subject matter tonight and the reason I brought up and asked about the uh prior history, the First World Age, is because I do believe that CERN is a repeat and that what they are doing there is something that has been described in not only the Emerald Tablets, but also another um, scroll called the Scroll of Thothis, which I'll share portions of with you and get you to comment uh, later. Um, but I... I think that, you know, the rituals and the things that they're doing there are to bring forth interdimensional beings that they're doing these uh, black magic rituals um, and that this is a repeat of something that brought judgment upon Atlantis in the previous world age. And, um, and so I just wanted to get you to comment on that if you see it in similarity and just what you wanted to bring forth in regard to CERN and um, if it has connections to uh, it, like well, like I see it. Yeah, I, I, I think we're talking the same language for yes. sure. So 
there's this principle again that if we want to understand end time prophecy, we have to understand that term that's in Ecclesiastics about nothing is new under the sun. What was will be again. So things just sort of kind of repeat uh, as we go through this epoch. And so if you understand that and you understand that there's this really mysterious passage in Revelation 9 that happens, I think, in the first three and a half years of the last seven years, where you have the opening of this abyss where these crazy creatures come out that most people sort of align with that that's also the prison where the fallen angels are located, then we need to understand that angelic rebellion. We need to understand that there is... uh, more than one dimension. I mean, biblically, you know, we're told that there is uh, the the physical universe that includes the firmament inside the sun as as a and outside there is a heaven, and then you got the rest of the universe as heaven. Then you have the spirit world of heaven, but there's also the underworld or Sheol or Hades, as it's described in the New and Old Testament or the, you know, and the home of the abyss in Revelation 9 or the bottomless pit um, in some of the translations like the King James and the pit that's in the Old Testament. And this was the prison for that, for for those fallen angels and the worst of the Nephilim and the Rephilim as Ezekiel 32 talks about them locked in to the sides of, of the abyss. So if we understand that, then we understand, we have to sort of say, okay, um, these were the ones that went to the abyss from the time of the flood and in connection to the corruption of the earth at that time, both before and after the flood. And if there was a second creation, like with the Baalim, for example, creating the Raphaim, then those gods would have went to the abyss as well. And those would be the ones that would come out. But you have this greater apocalypse that was in Revelation 1, 1 to 1, 2. So was there something that happened there and then this is you know was a repeat of of the rebellion and those in prison so there may be even more ones in prison or variations of how you want to go with that now as we talk about this idea of dimensions uh it becomes very important to the understanding of discussing in cern and when we talk about cern we talk about significant technology technology and knowledge that you were referencing in the building of these great cities and monuments that, you know, that we can't do today. And there's no proper explanation that makes any sense coming out of secular um, accountings and or, or the science as associated with it. So we have this understanding, though, that you have a time both before the flood and then shortly again after flood where these angels walked amongst humankind and they provided great knowledge to the seven sciences that were being developed and they were taken to a significant level and a level that i think we're just coming towards that event horizon now and we're still not there although it's developing very very quickly and that this this knowledge is uh came to an apex in the generation of Noah. And of course, the days of Noah were 600 years before the flood, and then again, 350 years after the flood. So if there is a second incursion and a second imprisonment of fallen angels, it would happen in that 350 years after the flood and in that last period just before the flood. And that end time prophecy tells us about 
there is a fig tree generation. And we don't know exactly how long that is, but it also doesn't have to take the full length of a generation. And so in excess, we know there's 40 years as one example for a generation in Book of Psalms, it's 70 years, and then Genesis 6-3 tells us 120 years. So we kind of have to be sort of factoring that in and just not getting too, too specific because we don't know exactly when those last seven years comes uh, for the uh, for the fig tree generation. But there's this generation that all things that Jesus predicted in his oration in Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 17, and 21 are going to take place and heaven and earth will pass away as it will at the end of the book of revelation and a new one new ones are created but his words will never pass away so there's a specific generation and then the the second or the the second of three archetypical signs follows immediately after the after the fig tree generation so that's one of them beginning of a sorrows is another archetypical sign that we need to factor into the whole generation and immediately following the fig tree generation is the days of noah used as exact same words to describe noah's 950 years that he lived in genesis 929 those words are very very specific so if we understand then that there was this technology in the past and we're just catching up to it now because nothing is new under the sun, then was there this use of knowledge happening a few more times than what we might have first thought a, in the time before Genesis 1-2? Uh, again, as you approach the, the flood apocalypse, and maybe again shortly after the flood, and that's where it starts to intersect with uh, Nimrod and Babel and why there's a connection there and why it's important to both Nimrod and to the end time globalist forces, the occult religion and the, the, the global 10 king empire that they're trying to set up, that they get access to these other dimensions. So... I'll just leave it there before we start getting into into CERN, but I think it's a it's a terrific sort of preface as to the level of technology that we're going to be talking about tonight with CERN and what they want to do with that technology and what they might be looking for. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a really great points that you bring forth because um, you know, I think the reference to as in the days of Noah is very important and also we see in the book of giants of how the giants had corrupted and the fallen angels had corrupted everything and the word miscegenation that even the plants were said to be genetically um, corrupted so everything and this is you know the reason the most high had to bring the flood upon the world was to reset and to renew and to give Noah and his family a chance even to survive and to move on in harmony and to you know to multiply and replenish as the pre-Adamites were instructed. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. that you know the violence came from the giants and the yes. corruption came from the giants as well and that when you say everything was corrupted, you're right, that's on the, the plant genome 100%. And the DNA, that, that word corrupted is the word chakoth, as we're talking 
talked about earlier, to decay, destroy, ruin, words like that. And so it became that way. And that's that knowledge that they had, that they had the ability to change plant genomes, DNA of plants, uh, of animals, and of, of humans. And that um, it led to the to the point of not just the flood for that restart, but that God had to actually call a representative kind of the clean animals and the unclean animals, you know, uh, seven pairs of the clean and one pair of the unclean, and the and select the eight to go on the ark because he knew which ones were not corrupted that right. would restart the world again anew. Not that he didn't know that giants weren't going to show up again and the angels were not going to continue to rebel and try and thwart the plans. Um, but that was to provide more time so that all the book names in the book of life had the opportunity to have their time on earth to find a way to leave their names in the book or have it blotted out. So I think yeah. it's... Uh, uh, very, very uh, apropos to 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 bring in that that technology level again and again. We're just hitting that level now where we could change the DNA around the world and or the genomes around the world. But think about doing that at a very at a higher advanced level, you know, in the quantum level. That you know, the building blocks of creation. Uh, how much? you could change it using that type of angelic technology. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and as you said, with regard to the replication, I think that, you know, the powers, the principalities, that they are poking and leading and guiding humanity to the recreation of a lot of these technologies in order to replicate things that they've done in the past. And I think CERN is you know, a perfect example of that. And also with the supposed um, deal that the uh, the extraterrestrial or the alien gods uh, had even said to have been made with the American government, that they would trade technology as long as they would, you know, look the, the American government would look the other way when people were abducted or, you know, the... They were invasive on others' lives. And there has been this experience in the history and uh, definitely incidents reported all over. And I think this kind of thing is heightening as well, that uh, it's happening more and more. Yeah, I think it is too. So that technology is what everybody's chasing. There's no rhyme nor reason as just sort of acquiesced or usurped the authority to develop it at any price or cost or from any source and that that guidance is um, happening again to create that technology and i think that's reflected in the book of enoch where that illicit knowledge of heaven was right. provided that uh, would set that off and uh, you know what's also interesting was when you were mentioning the book of giants there is is that uh, Gilgamesh is mentioned in there, and yes. he uh, was so upset at the dreams of the apocalypse that was coming, and Enoch said there was nothing to him, you know, that could be done to right. avoid it. That he was so upset that he took on the loyal angels himself and warred with them. Yeah, he wasn't successful. 
But again, it's almost like that Antichrist type figure again, right? right? And, uh, you know, it's hard to know who that Antichrist figure was in, you know, before the flood that was trying to uh, enter heaven. But that would have happened at the time, uh, you know, before the flood came. So it's very, very analogous to what Antichrist will do with three and a half years left to go of this age. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that may have been a different name. It may be just an allegory. And for people who aren't uh, uh, totally aware of the Gilgamesh uh, stories, you have to keep in mind, this is probably a different Gilgamesh that's in the Epic of Gilgamesh. Uh, because in the Epic of Gilgamesh, he is born of Lugabanda as his father, king of Uruk, in about the sixth generation, and through the mother goddess Nin or Ninsen. And so it's like he is a second incursion giant and named after an antediluvian giant. And what's important uh, about right. that sort of analogy is that that's not unusual uh, to have giants after the flood named after the ones that were before right. the flood. And as in the Epic of Gilgamesh, where you, you receive, sort of see that full delineation as, as being a post-Diluvian story uh, and also has the Mount Hermon and the Cedar Forest in there as well. But he's talking about, depending on which version you're using, you're using Apna Pishtun as the... Nephilim Noah, because he's two-thirds God and mm-hmm. one-third human, as, as Gilgamesh is, or Zayazudra, as it is in some translations, or Idzubar is another one. And I know uh, a historian by the name of uh, Smith says he's Gilgamesh, but it's exactly the same story. says that's Nimrod, I'm sorry, but it's exactly the same stories as um, as Gilgamesh. And, and, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so I think that... Uh, we have to keep that in mind as we're trying to understand the chronology of prehistory is, is sort of my point on that. So, yeah. So I think we have, uh, we had that technology that was in place that they could build the things that they were doing and that they could build all sorts of technologies that either were recreated again after the flood that we see part of that deception of what's going on today or it was spared from the flood. I don't care how you want to do it, but if it was spared, it would have to be done in the earth, off the earth, somewhere other than where the flood was doing the damage. And when you start to consider things like hollow earth or probably what is more likely interdimensions, like uh, understanding that Sheol and uh, Hades the other world is in the same space, perhaps, as the inner earth, but in another dimension. You start to get an understanding that there's, you know, we have to be open to what has survived throughout the ages, whether it was just after the flood or inclusive of before the flood that we may see coming out afterwards. And now that starts to get you sort of thinking about where is the abyss located? Or the bottomless pit. Well, it's in Hades. It's in Sheol. It's in the underworld as part of that interdimensional location. So maybe it's a good time to start leaning into CERN and how that starts to connect into it. Yeah, one more question and then we'll go into that. I uh, just wanted to ask you uh, with regard to the wars and the ulterior motives of the elite, uh, because it is my opinion that. A lot of the wars, even what's taking place right now with uh, Russia and Ukraine, that there was said to be the oldest 
pyramids in the world ever discovered they're found like 10 years ago in Crimea um, and that seems to be one of the reasons why Russia went in there and decided to make a stronghold of that particular area but I also believe that for instance the Iraq war the German uh, archaeologists were said to have found discovered the tomb of Gilgamesh there in Babylon right before that invasion and that there were other uh, also Anunnaki type technologies found in um, in Afghanistan and certainly we see the story of the Kandahar giant um, as being one of the remnant giants still living in that area and so do you think that some of the wars that are going on and that are being um, started and uh, followed up on are because of this supernatural technology and this lost knowledge. Yeah, so when you're following any sort of mystery, follow the money, follow the technology and the knowledge, and and follow the power. And so part of that, what gives you the, the wealth and gives you the power is the knowledge and the technology. So it's always been valuable. Um, the elites of the world know how powerful this angelic technology is and that they're trying to uh, look for it. So when you yes. look at that Iraq uh, discovery, and there was actually um, a release that came out from the State Department that had it mixed in with thousands of emails. I think it was towards the end of the Obama um, administration. I know I've got it on a word file somewhere, but it alluded to the discovery of that tomb and the sarcophagi, as I recall, of, of Gilgamesh. So mm -hmm. uh, when we look at that what was going on with uh, the post-Diluvian giants, and one would presume the antediluvian giants had those powers and more. Uh, you have this idea that they could self-heal. Uh, so in the Ugaritic text, for example, you have giants um, that are called the Rapiu and the Rapium, and they're created by ba uh, Baal and Ashtaroth, and they want them to come back to recreate more because they're having a fertility issue. Uh, so you have them called as kings and bloodlines and warriors, which are basically Raphaim, uh, and they're also called... Uh, spirits that can go back and forth, particularly if after they've died. And so that's like the Rafa 7496, where the giant was 7497, and then 7495 in the Hebrew Strong's lexicon, it means healer or doctor, because they thought they could self-heal. And in the Ugaritic text, it talks about them healing people and healing themselves. So they were known as these great healers of this sort of great ability, which is why you had to take their head off suddenly, quickly, so that they couldn't repair the damage fast enough. So uh, that's the technology that may have been provided by the sarcophagi, as some people would uh, theorize. So that would be significant. Uh, or the DNA that you could yes. backwards engineer into right. the, the giants, as in what uh, a more, let's say, more advanced version of what the Nazis were trying to do with uh, recreating the blonde hair, blue eyed, pale skin Aryans. Um, so mm. you have that. And then you have the discovery of these pyramids that you're talking about. And pyramids were more than just 
wonderful pieces of architecture. They were they had significant meanings and right. had significant things encoded and embedded into them. And the again, the thought is is that they were more than just power plants. They could have been. They were likely portals to to other dimensions and 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 you know you have to be careful so your mind doesn't sort of run away but when we link back in nimrod later into the into the cern discussion we're going to see that sort of connection so yeah if you look at what putin is doing in terms of his scythian roots and the original czar bloodlines and dynasty and that the scythians were both before and after the flood in their belief system they would have a recollection of what was in those pyramids and what it might do for them. And Kiev was the capital of the first uh, czars of the of the Scythian Tartarian Empire of the Ukraine and Russia. Uh, Tartaria is a larger grouping than that, but that was one of those segments of that Tartarian Empire both in our post-Diluvian history and before the flood. And those pyramids were likely built before the flood. So that would right. sort of say this is the direct link to that technology before the flood because we can't build a pyramid today to the exacting specifications. We can't, you know, and have incredible amounts of sacred geometry and and astrological alignments built into it and then to do more functions than what we might be able to imagine in terms of what it might be able to do in terms of the, the technology that was encoded into it so i think they're always on the look for that because that would be a game-changing technology in terms of who's going to control the world right exactly uh yes and um we've got about 10 minutes before we go to break, but also I wanted to just ask you, and then feel free to go in to CERN, um, and you know, because uh, I definitely think it's relevant to the subject, and I'm glad that we're going to be following up on it. But uh, in your research, are have you heard or studied? Um, and I know you brought up with Sheol and Tartarus uh, that these races are dwelling under the earth, and if they're had been even judgment passed on them, because uh, I know that in the Cave of Treasures, it speaks about, in a passage, about how certain giant tribes were locked into uh, the center of the earth, that they were uh, banished to the interior of the earth. And I think that the wrath of God poured out on the wicked, that and also what they're attempting to do right now in CERN, that the Most High will remove his restraining hand and allow them to achieve the rituals that they're doing in calling out these dark interdimensional beings and that the locust army coming at the end of days uh, is part of the judgment of you know him allowing them to get exactly what they want, uh, which is to bring forth these entities to this particular realm. Yeah, I would certainly think that is, and we could be talking about a combination of literally in the earth and or in another dimension on certain things. And so mm -hmm. we know there was underground cities that were built all over the world. And, right. you know, Petra would be probably the most famous for people to sort of zero in on. And, you know, it's it, what we see on the outside is a very small piece of what's built in the earth. Exactly, yeah. 
And so what's interesting about Petra is, is, I mean, it's ancient, so it's probably antediluvian, but people settled there after the flood and very early on after the flood. And that was the home and capital city of the Amalekim uh, and also home later for the hybrids that are created through Timna Ahorim and Eliphaz, son of Esau, the Amalekite nation. And the Malachim that I'm referring to are the ones in, that are listed in Genesis 14 that were both in the south of the covenant land and then in, also in an eastern location. And that that was their capital city. And so they literally would have searched it out and, uh, and, and took possession of it because they knew of that knowledge. So again, it sort of goes to that recollection that they knew of these, of these places. And that, that certainly could have been one of the places that the giants could have hidden in those types of underground cities and perhaps in some sort of stasis chambers if, if they were going to survive into the end time. Doesn't mean that's how they have to show up in the end time because they could be recreated because not all the angels are in, right. in the abyss. Um, but yes, we will see the uh, unlimited power of the angelic technology um, because, you, as you mentioned, we're going to see uh, that in full view. And as it comes out in the um, uh, the Revelation 9 war, that's 200 billion men. And that, you know, when you look at those creatures, I mean, you just can't look at that and say that's normal that is something that is created from some other technology that we're just catching up to or they're starting to implement it now based on how close you think we are to to the last seven years and this happens after the abyss is open as is what you linked so and then you have this great war and these beings have a description that are very similar to joel one and two Yes, uh, which I believe is the same as Ezekiel 38 and 39. And, and I do a comparison in, in my new book uh, on that. So I'll give a couple of quick examples of it so people know what we're talking about. And I think this is technology that is uh, creating chimera type of creatures for some of the things that came come out of the abyss. So if you need if you're a demon, but disembodied spirit of a giant, you're going to need a body. And then you're going to need some sort of uh, thing to ride into war on. And I think that's a combination of all of us. So I think they're going to be in chimera type of bodies. And I think um, they're going to be in chimera type of biologically in part, uh, likely AI, all sorts of other technology yes. that is also part of their what they're riding on. So in Revelation 9, um, it says that the locust army is 200 million and Joel 1 and 2 says the locust army is the largest ever and any to come. So this is larger than anyone. And that's why most people think it's Armageddon, except that in Joel 3, that's the Armageddon war. This is before the Armageddon war. And then this in Revelation 9 and Ezekiel 38 and 39 happens before the midpoint of the last seven years. So Armageddon is yet a war to follow. So perfectly consistent that way. Revelation 9, they ride horses. In, in Joel 1 and 2, they have the appearance of horsemen and chariots. Uh, Revelation 9, they have lion-headed, they are lion-headed horses. 
Uh, Joel doesn't tell us they're lion-headed, but they have the teeth and, of a lion, so likely the face of a lion. Uh, in, in Revelation 9, the, the power of the horses come from the mouths breathing fire. In Joel, the horses and chariots destroy with fire. So you're getting chariots also involved with the type of vehicle or weaponry that I was referencing. The tails in Revelation 9 were like serpents with heads. We don't get a description of those tails in Joel 1 and 2. Um, but Revelation 9, the human heads on, on, on the riders were not described, but they have human heads. Um, and in Joel, what we were told is their faces cause terror. So whatever this human kind of head is, it's probably Nephilim-like that is going to cause terror. Uh, the riders and horses wear fire brimstone uh, breastplates in Revelation 9. In Joel 1 and 2, the rider and the horse is not wounded by the sword. So they have some sort of high-tech level right. of breastplate. Uh, and then just I'll just finish off with, uh, in Revelation 9, a third of the heavens is darkened. In Joel 1 and 2, the sun, moon, and stars do not shine. So you have the same types of descriptions for this army that happens as part of the first woe of those scorpion creatures coming out of the abyss. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, um, we've got about six minutes would you like to go ahead and get into CERN and then when we return from break I'll, I'll read a passage uh, that I think is connected to it um, you know after the second hour yeah I think it's a it's perfect timing just to sort of mm -hmm. set some of the uh, preface for for CERN and we're going to talk some things that probably people haven't heard about before um, but we're going to make it very sort of compelling as we talk about some of these details so you know, we're we're all familiar with these crazy occult dances and things that are associated with uh, uh, CERN. Um, CERN is an occult science in practice, and it's a technology that is unbelievable. But let's just sort of go back to a, a few details that will help understand what CERN is. So CERN was, first of all, the birthplace place of the World Wide Web uh, that most people aren't familiar with, and it was used to link into the internet and the hypertext. And so it is sort of the beginning of this whole interconnected hive kind of mind world type of thing, uh, you know, and where the world is one. Um, the CERN organization has UN observer status, like the Knights of St. John. Um, those are the only two organizations I'm aware of, there may be more, that uh, have UN observer status and aren't nations. They have the right to speak at general meetings and at debates if they choose. They have the right to sign resolutions and to vote on procedural matters if they choose. They have the right to sign the signatures on working papers. So this is, this is a globalist organization that is working for globalist purposes. And so CERN believes that science is a vehicle for social change, social justice, a socialist world in, in 
what they would call or I would coin as national socialism on a globalist scale. So global socialism is what they're trying to do. And that's why everything is so analogous to what happened in World War II. So uh, right from the word progressive and everything that follows thereafter, it's a very similar kind of analogy because it's a sister organization to what was going on in Germany. Um, I'm not saying they're there yet, but they're working towards the same atrocities. Uh, they all eventually do the same thing. So CERN believes in science for social change. Um, it believes uh, in, in uh, being a part of the refugee crisis. It believes in gender equality, all fine and dandy on that, but it's also uh, very deep into STEM and what they call STEM. That's an acronym as CERN is. And so STEM is science, technology, engineering, uh, and math. So it's part of the seven sacred sciences, but those sciences on steroids. And so it's the forefront of science in Europe, and I would say probably the forefront of science around the world, at least in this, this sort of capacity, and CERN partners with companies to get its technology into the marketplace with licensing agreements. So it's perpetuating wealth as you go through, through everything that they do. And they use uh, KT groups um, that they, again, use that acronym to uh, develop and dis disperse this knowledge technology in return for licensing agreements and, and wealth. KT is a sort of a double entendre. It would be like Knights Templar who uh, were thought to have discovered great knowledge and were the keepers of the bloodline messages. And so STEM is also would be understood as the stem of a tree or a trunk of the tree as in the thalemic tree. And in the thalemic tree of their or hierarchical organizational structure or their genealogies, uh, as in an elm tree versus an evergreen cedar tree of the thalemic tree for their organizational hierarchical structure, joins heaven and earth. And their idea of heaven is Hades or Sheol, not the heaven uh, of God. And that the power and the authority comes from the roots from that um uh heaven that's that we would know as as uh, part of hell and so we need to understand that they encode and embed everything into their imagery as a celebration of the gods that they worship just as science honors through uh naming everything and after the gods of prehistory whether it's greek gods whether it's egyptian gods it doesn't matter they're there to honor the gods of the pantheon which is what the seven sciences were originally created to do uh and was morphed into for protection into Enochian mysticism as in son of Cain that merged with the illicit knowledge of angels um, that then partnered with the offspring of the angels who provided the additional knowledge to usurp the earth before the flood and they're going to do that again as we get into the end time. So the CERN is an atlas experiment as they would call it and have named it and of course that has antediluvian 
reflections, Atlas being the king of Atlantis. And Atlantis was the helm of world government that was trying to create a world government through military war. It had the most advanced technology and most advanced civilization in Greek mythology. And Atlas was its king, and Atlas was king along with nine other kings. So this Atlantean empire had 10 kings. Just as the globalists are trying to reestablish this new Atlantis uh, that the Club of Rome and the UN have divided up into 10 groups of nations, that's reflected in prophecy in Daniel 2 with the metallic empires and the toes. In Daniel 7 and da uh, Revelation 12, 13, and 17 with that end-time empire. And Hold so... On. Hold on. We'll be right back, everybody. We'll be In the old In the books, old it is said that the old motherland was ruled by the Queen of Light, who was supreme above all. The temple tales tell that the lesser gods came to dwell among mortals when the mistress of brightness ruled in Kalathi, that they were sheltered in temples and priests were appointed to minister unto them. It is said that places of instruction were set up within the temples, but few men were taught the inner knowledge. It was rightfully held that it would be a danger to those without wisdom, and it had to be safeguarded. Is this not the tale told in the book of beginnings? It is said that Kalathi lay within the borders of Kamu, but could it not have been the land of similar sounding name outward from Pontus, beyond God's land? Is it not set up both that they were engulfed in fire and water in the Book of Beginnings, it is said, the generations passed and a vast amount of knowledge and wisdom was accumulated and preserved in purity. It was the heritage of mankind, but though man had learned to cherish the light of truth and walk wisely with it, nevertheless, nevertheless then, as now, false priesthoods flourished they pandered to the carnal desires of the underdeveloped and exploited the weaknesses of the ignorant. Their iniquity built up a vast weight of evil in the netherworld, which projected itself into the material realm of earth so that the powers which upheld it became unstable. This caused all the southern part of the old land to sink down into heaving waters. The disaster was brought about through the ascendance of evil. Rites which awakened the dead were rife among the carnal-minded and ignorant, while those who remained steadfast on the harder road of spiritual development had fixed their eyes on the light ahead, ignoring the pitfalls at their feet. It was then, even as now, Will man ever learn? That's the scroll of Thothis. Uh, and also the commentary from the, or a question from the chat room with regard to are there any conferences that Gary and I will be attending coming up? Uh, yes, within two months, in May 
26 through 28, we will be doing the Sacred Word Revealed Conference here in Duluth, Georgia. If you are interested, you can go to sacredwordrevealed.com to find out more information. Uh, Gary and I will both be speakers there, as well as my son, Dr. Joy Jeffries Pugh, um, Kent Smith, Brett Thomas, Nathan Reynolds, uh, Sheila Skiba, and her son, uh, Jeremiah Skiba, will also be there to speak about and to share a memorial for Rob, because um, uh, he was taken too soon from us. But uh, there will be other speakers as well, Zach Thomas. Um, and so if you can, if you'd like to join us, uh, we would love you to have you share meal and break bread in conversation with us. Uh, Gary, uh, turn it back over to you, brother. Yeah, very interesting uh, passage that you read out. And, you know, when we're talking about the Queen of Heaven, uh, yeah. especially in, in, in the hive context as well of what the occult um, is trying to bring bring about. And when, when we get into what the technology is trying to tap into, that will really sort of make some connections because it's, again, as we talk about that technology, but it's more than just the technology. It's also the corruption uh, of the knowledge and the use of the knowledge because knowledge is neither good nor evil. It's how it's used. Right, and right. that's the thing to always keep in mind. And so how this knowledge is going to be reintroduced and then um, abused again is sort of part and parcel of what sort of drives them in their belief system. And so we have to keep that in mind that even though we're talking about science, it's going to come home to the Enochian mysticism um, and will become one and the same, just as Francis Bacon, who was a Rosicrucian, wrote the New Atlantis about the end time when there would be their religion, their Gnostic religion that also created theosophy in the New Age and, you know, the same global Gnosticism as they believe that's the same ancient pantheon that's around the world is going to be working in harmony with science in the end times. So all of that will come back in and all the other things that they were using like evolution just to lead people away from God, they'll throw that aside pretty fast. So uh, we're not there yet, but that's what's going to do it. But it's important to sort of understand that kind of imagery overlay on where this thing is going to be going because we're talking about that Atlas experiment that CERN is. And so Atlas is also would be understood as an antichrist type archetype in the antediluvian world as well. So whether Gilgamesh, Atlas, whoever the antichrist was, and there was probably multiple antichrist figures then, just as there will be in, in the end time. So as we understand that the occult is part of this, is the occult sciences and the development of the sciences that is is emerged in with all of their imagery of the ancient pantheons around the world understand that that dance that i talked about earlier that you know you can see on youtube and then they come up with other really freakish sort of occult things and celebrations but that one dance is the dance of shiva um and that is out of the hindu religion which is going to be important to keep in mind as we get into the, the the technology and the it 
the dance is done in a burning halo or an orb. Uh, again, part of occult religions. And, and gods used to come into this realm at times in a bubble or an orb or a quantum bubble, as it might be called, which again, that term quantum is going to become important as we go through this hour. And so it was the dance of the gods, the dance of Shiva, and it's associated with creation of the earth. And so when we talked about this, and it was so apropos, Zen, that you were talking about the destruction of the earth and then the renewal of the earth that's talked about um, in, in Genesis 1 and in 2 Peter, Shiva, the destroyer god, which would be equivalent to Abaddon and Apollyon as a title for a god uh, that's in the abyss, that's going to be the leader of these creatures coming out of the abyss. Shiva destroys to recreate. So it's their belief system that you need to have this destruction to have a recreation. And if it's not stopped, and fortunately Jesus steps in before all flesh is destroyed from the face of the earth, they would mm -hmm. destroy everything again, just as it was, right down to the foundations, as is talked about in the Old Testament. So um, important to understand, this is the power of the technology of the angelic, uh, technology that is uh, becoming part of our world again today. And so um, when we look at that acronym of CERN, we need to understand that they use double entendres and allegories. So they're, they use CERN with an acronym, um, but it is the meaning of that acronym that's important as it goes back into their history. So a lot of people might, might not be aware of Greek mythology uh, where you have some wolf gods, uh, like right. Liska, uh, the wolf goddess, was the wife of uh, Lupercus. And Zeus changed himself into a wolf in that other um, history or mythology to create the uh, uh, the werewolf uh, beings and with King Lycaon. Um, but that's a different rabbit hole. We won't go down there today. That's a deep uh, rabbit hole. That's a deep rabbit hole, yes. yes. So it's a show It's a show in itself. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to do that sometime. Gary. Yeah, that, that would be fine. That would be uh, great. Yeah, and so in this family of these wolf gods is... Uh, a god named CERN that shows up in uh, the as the name CERN in the Etruscan um, religion, and he's the brother of Lupercus. Um, and so, when you hear all these Lupercali festivals in, in in February, that happens as part of the Etruscan Roman history. It's sort of rooted in all of that as well. But understand, this is a nature god. His name is CERN, and after. Uh, the death of Lupercus, CERN through divine right of inheritance that is expressed through the kings and the royals and the spurious offspring on this earth uh, becomes the god of this world and he was the brother of Lupercus. So <clears throat> this is a nature god that is a god that's also depicted as a goat god, like a pan god like a Bacchus god, uh, like a Cernunos god in the Druid pantheon. This is a pan god that is uh, associated with 
Baphomet as the god of the Knights Templars. This is an Azazel kind of god that was degraded to goat god status, Satir, Sa'ir as it is in, in uh, Hebrew, Ayir being watcher, and Sa being hairy, kind of a contracted shortened version uh, of a few different words that all mean hairy and shaggy. And Satir is the Hebrew word for devil gods in the Old Testament, the Satirs in Isaiah 13 and Isaiah 34, and also for, for goats as well, depending on, on the application and also will be used in, in connection with Antichrist as, uh, as in the Daniel 8 prophecies, but I won't go down that rabbit hole tonight. But just to give you an idea that this is the God that is uh, the great Pan God, just as the Pan God has a temple at the foot of Mount Hermon right next to the gateway to Hades. And Abaddon Apollyon is... Uh, the destroyer god. The destroyer god of the antediluvian epoch, according to the book of Enoch, was a fellow by the name of Azazel. And he was the leader of the host of those angels that was sent to the abyss for his crimes. And Azazel is the one who taught the arts of war and the arts of making war and the arts of making weaponry available to his spurious progeny, the, the Nephilim, and they created the violence on the earth that is talked about in, in, in the flood story that the Nephilim are part of. And so Azazel also provided the majority of the illicit knowledge to the antediluvian world. So he was described in the book of Enoch as being the one that was attributed all sin of the antediluvian world, and we would understand that as an scapegoat understanding. So when you roll that forward to Levit Leviticus 16, you have Azazel um, showing up there. If you're reading the King James Version Bible, it'll say scapegoat um, and or the second goat. And it's the second goat that's sacrificed on the Day of Atonement. We're not told for what those sins are. But that word scapegoat or goat is Azazel. And this is uh, the scapegoat that the sins of the antediluvian world, I think, are being sacrificed for on, on the Day of Atonement. And this is the same God that is going to be coming out of the abyss as the leader of the abyss, as the destroyer God, just as they do the cosmic dance in their occult rituals uh, coming out of, of India. So when we look at Apollyon, uh, Abaddon, they both mean destroyer in Hebrew and, and in Greek, and that CERN is located in a town called St. Genie Pui, and um, it was uh, originally a Roman town called Apollyacom. And both of those words derive out of Latin for uh, Apollyacu uh, or Apollyacom, depending on uh, which word you want to take that back to. And there was a temple dedicated to Apollyon there. And Apollo, Apollyon comes out of the group of words out of Greek that has Apollo in it, and they're kind of 
similar types of meanings. And it's not that it was, it's Apollo that's the god that's going to be coming out because it has its own nuance, the meaning as the as the Greek sun god in Greek history and mythology. But he was also the god of death and pestilence. And as that meaning is part of that destroyer god as well. And so um, <clears throat> he is very much a sim, uh, part of that Etruscan uh, pantheon of CERN and or Apollo, as you get the Greek variation, as he's also known as. So you have all of the sort of overwhelming, overarching imagery uh, of what's going on with the sciences there, rooting back to the one who is accredited with giving most of that angelic technology to the antediluvian world. I mean, you just can't make this stuff up, but there's no way that you could have a coincidence like that. Right. Now, we also see some of this knowledge that sort of shows up shortly after the flood. And I'll let you, I'll, I'll let you back in here in a, in a second, Zen, just to finish off on this, and then I'll, I can get into some of the other details later in terms of the quantum technology. But after the flood, Nimrod, um, in secret society history coming out of the Polychronicon and the history of Freemasonry, receives knowledge from a fellow by the name of Hermes who finds the two pillars of Lamech and or Enoch, depending on which version that you're reading on that. And there's two different legends on that. And he brings that on the two pillars of Lamech are the location of the lost knowledge of the antediluvians. One is made to survive fire, one's made to survive the flood, so it floats. So it's obviously the one that floated that he found. And there he finds, according to the legends, 36,525 books buried in nine vaults stacked on top of each other incredibly underneath the Great Pyramid. And he brings that knowledge back to Nimrod, and they use that knowledge to build Babel City and Babel Tower. And we're told with that application biblically with the knowledge that we're not told of where it comes from biblically, that acting as one people with one language, there'll be nothing that they can't do by, right. by, by extension, which is, again, an archetypical understanding for the end time, just as Babel is the root word for Babylon. So it's going to be that religion that he imposes, plus this knowledge, and he builds this ziggurat. And in polytheist accountings, he would climb that ziggurat that they were building, and he would shake his weaponry at God and threaten God and say the most hubris things as an antichrist figure, as talked about in Revelation 13 and in the book of Daniel talks about, a beast-like individual he threatens god and he's threatening god that he could he will go into heaven and kill god god gets out of line again i mean this is like gilgamesh trying to storm heaven to to, to get at god it's like what antichrist will do in the end time where he actually brings down some of the starry hosts and tramples on them he's not mm -hmm. successful in overthrowing god but there's a technology that's being implied here that Nimrod has and what Antichrist will have and what was the power and the technology that was in prehistory. And so Nimrod, there's no way he can build a tower up to heaven, let alone into another dimension. So what's being implied here is, is the technology is building something that can go interdimensional. And so in the Akkadian version 
of the Tower of Babel. Babel doesn't mean confusion of languages. We understand it coming out of Hebrew. It means in Akkadian as in Bab, as in gateway or portal. And you have the other word El, E-L, as it would be understood in Hebrew as angel or a god, which is sometimes transliterated as E-L as well, but generally Babalu or I-L-U, which is a transliteration of E-L as, as, as an A-L and a few other versions as well. It means a god. So this is seemingly from the Akkadian version, he built a gateway of the god so that he wasn't just sort of trying to bluff if he could complete that technology. He was going to either storm into heaven and try and overthrow God as Satan did, or he was going to go somewhere else as well and into Hades, into Sheol, into the heaven of the rebellious angels to, to free from the prison of the other world of Hades, of Sheol, those impassioned and worst of the angels who corrupted the earth before the flood were sentenced to uh, go to wait in, in imprisonment in the abyss until the end time. And if Baal, whom the Rapiu of the Ugaritic texts were trying to bring back to create more Raphaim because of their fertility issues, they were trying to bring them back, but they were probably in the abyss as well for doing the same types of crimes. And so I think Nimrod was trying to do both. So now we have this imagery of a tower, ziggurat, pyramid, the pyramid technology that was found under a pyramid that is linked to an antichrist type figure that antichrist will try will will re-emulate in the end time that somehow connected with all of its imagery to CERN. So I'll I'll just stop there for a couple of minutes and let you back in. I know I went on a rant. Uh, no, this is this is so awesome because it ties in with, you know, the things that I wanted to cover um, in regard to some of this, these ancient scrolls. And the other one that I wanted to bring up, and this is the perfect spot for it, is something from the Emerald Tablets of Thoth. And um, for people that don't know about or have not read these, uh, it speaks about the antediluvian times and also about the destruction of Atlantis and how the Atlanteans, when Atlantis was destroyed, they split off in a diaspora and went to different parts of the world, but they took their knowledge with them. And there was once the, you know, as it says of the mother culture, that there was this high technology the atlanteans knew about these things and then when the diaspora happened they took the knowledge with them to different parts of the world and we see that empires and civilizations came up at the same time and um in you know like in south america and also indonesia and different parts of the world we see that a lot of these cyclopean megalithic structures and these ancient civilizations were built at the very tops of the mountains and in my mind it implies that you know this was at the time when the world was covered over in deluge and they had to build at the tops because that's where the area you know um then they descended as the water levels 
started to also descend. But I wanted to just share this passage from what is the tablet number seven. And it speaks about them doing these blood rituals where they're trying to invite these interdimensional beings into this realm. And it's intriguing, so I'll just read this real quick and pass it back over to you. It says, speak thou in words without voice to those who dwell down below. Speak I of ancient Atlantis. Speak of the days of the kingdoms of shadows. Speak of the coming of the children of shadows. Out of the great deep were they called by the wisdom of earth men, called for the purpose of gaining great power. Far in the past before Atlantis existed, men there were who delved into darkness, using dark magic, calling up beings from the great deep below us. Forth came they into this cycle. Formless were they of another vibration, existing unseen by the children of earth men. Only through blood could they have formed being. Only through man could they live in the world. In ages past were they conquered by masters, driven below to the place whence they came. But some there were who remained hidden in spaces and plains unknown to man. Lived they in Atlantis as shadows, but at times they appeared among men, a when the blood was offered, for they came they to dwell, forth came they to dwell among men. In the form of man they amongst us, but only to sight were they as our men. Serpent-headed when the glamour was lifted, but appearing to man as men among men, crept they into the councils, and taking forms that were like unto men, slaying by their arts the chiefs of the kingdoms, and taking their form, they rule over man. Only by magic could they be discovered. Only by sound could their faces be seen. Sought they from the kingdom of shadows to destroy man and to rule in his place. And I'll just stop there. It goes on for a little bit. Um, this is Tablet 7 from the Emerald Tablets of Thoth. But I think it's intriguing how these, because you know, we have the the Anunnaki who are said to be feathered serpents and the antediluvian gods were also said to be dragon-like in aspect or seraphic in appearance. And the these particular beings uh, are said to rule over and haven't even taken over the bodies, uh, the bloodline royals that rule the world, which there seems to be uh, rumors and also uh, stories about the the connections of the royal elite with these particular deities as well. Gary? Well, yeah, yeah that's very, very good stuff. And, uh, you know, I write about in the first book about the seven sages of Atlantis. And you have this legend that sort of goes worldwide. There may have been more than seven, but seven is a common number. Uh, and they brought 
the knowledge of the antediluvian world as survivors uh, from Atlantis uh, and other civilizations, as depending on which version that you're reading, because you could read of the seven sages in India, and they're not going to say from um, Atlantis, they may say Mahala Burham. I think, I think I butchered that name, but you get the sort of the drift they have because there was probably seven or more major civilizations that were around the world. So Osiris right. would be one that would be considered uh, one who went from different nations delivering the knowledge. Quetzalcoatl would be perhaps another one, uh, but that's more of a god. It's, those are more of gods, but uh, uh-huh. they could be sort of conflated in with these sages that did it. They're known as the uh, Sabeti. Um, and so you, you get this common understanding that this knowledge somehow survived. And in that sort of understanding, when I was talking about Hermes, that sort of fits in with the Hermes Trismegistus uh, mythos as well as, uh, you know, at least one or two of those three before the flood and one or two of those ones after the flood as that conflated mythology comes together. And one of them would be a god in that Trismegistus. This idea of gods possessing humans, um, we is 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 was a well-known uh, understanding in in prehistory and they didn't call it necessarily possessing but it was the avatar avatara understanding as we would understand it today so vishnu was the avatar of buddha and vishnu came i think 16 times in different um incarnations uh and shiva does did the same thing uh so shiva may be involved with an incarnation in the christ consciousness of the of the new age and the antichrist figure in in the end times so yeah it's interesting to to understand that knowledge and that this knowledge um <clears throat> it was was used uh, in ways that we can't even sort of imagine and that's the scary part that's why we understand that we're just coming up to that event horizon so to speak in terms of the of of the knowledge so as i relay over to how that connects back into cern it's that it's that technology and that at cern you're getting quantum computing and ai that are working together and what's important about that is that Quantum computing can get you into different dimensions, but it, under the older sort of technology that may be evolving today, uh, but it was more like, I would call it like a rifle shot as opposed to a shotgun. So it was single bullet, single target. But if you want to search more dimensions and more places in those dimensions at one time, you need AI to match up to that. Uh-huh. And so you're going to see more of this AI and quantum understanding marry up in all sorts of formats that's just starting to get into cryptocurrency. And maybe at the end, we'll get into that because I, I don't want to get down another rabbit hole because that's another great story too. But um, but you have this searching of multiple dimensions and they are looking for something. And so I'll come back to, you know, what they're looking for other than these particles that they're talking about. Uh, And that's important. And I also think that it's the abyss that they're looking for uh, is is important as well. And that ability to open up portals to go into other uh, dimensions. And so quantum mechanics, quantum math, 
you know, has as a pioneer um, Wolfgang Pauli, P-A-U-L-I. Um, and he saw his research through the occult. And uh, he was a fan of Carl Jung and his um, alchemy and Eastern religions, numbers, myths, um, and all of that coming together as one sort of philosophy, one sort of theology. Uh, and that alchemy or alchemy type of impact is really sort of important as it mixes into that, and particularly as you understand that in terms of geomancy, which is all part of this. And geomancy is not only understood as the divination of geographical features and figures and lines, including ley lines, also known as part of that arts and sciences of the occult of arranging buildings and other sites so that everything lines up. That's part of that celestial alignment on ley lines, on holy sites for the energy and everything else that's going to go through in that technology that they're building. Uh, and also the divination of the soil through the ground. So they understand everything that's in the ground, not just for growing things, but what it can be derived out for power and what's underneath that both in this physical world and in another dimension. And it also is the use of sciences and math. And geomancy is like a gatekeeper who can create portals between worlds. So if you're a geomancer, you have the ability to do that. That's part of these these sciences and part of that portal aspect that we're talking about where the abyss is in another dimension and with what Nimrod was trying to do. And in the occult, um, you have uh, cryptograms, they call them, and they're the codes that are encoded into the universe. That's the part of the sacred geometry that you hear being encoded into their worship sites. So this is very advanced algorithms and technology that you understand superficially as the sacred geometry. And they believe that Earth is a sentient and an intelligent and conforming to the mathematical and geometrical laws not understood by um, science as it, as it was, but not as it is changing. And so geomancy can be sort of understood in relationship to quantum um, computing and math um, to a belief that comes out of the Upanishads and also out of Taoism, the ancient form of Taoism and or Feng Shui, which was maybe might be a little bit more familiar with people that Feng Shui aspect of Taoism works at the quantum level. And it's a blend of intention and observation as it pertains to the vibration and entanglement and consciousness of waves and particles. It has a belief that the universe is fabric and not matter, but energy and information. And that is all part of a greater energy field. And I won't go through, but you get sort of the ideas what they're talking about and where uh, it's made up of subatomical particles that are connected, that make decisions and communicate with other particles that we would know through quantum entanglement, and that everything vibrates with its own sort of consciousness. They believe that the world as we understand it today is like a matrix or a computer program. So we, so we start to factor that into the geomancy and the occult and the angelic technology, 
we start to understand um, why we get odd details about the original pioneers uh, of quantum uh, mechanics in its history uh, that they believe that they needed to understand the Vedas to understand the principles and the theology and the f philosophy and understand philosophy is the love of Sophia, the mother queen goddess that we were talking about earlier from the Gnostics. Um, and, and also synonymous with wisdom, with the word wisdom as it's trans, translated into, into English. That you need to understand these Vedas and Upanishads out of India to understand and to be able to develop this quantum math. And so Niels Bohr, who's another one of these pioneers, he often consulted the Vedas to get his is thinking right again so that he could sort of understand this. And that Werner Heisenberg was also uh, a pioneer and he believed the same thing and was a fan of Vedic thought. So was Schrodinger, another pioneer, and he believed in the unity of the Vedanta reflected in wave mechanics and particles and the consciousness and the entity of the Atman or the Atma that is talked about in the Upanishads of multiple dimensions that the Upanishads also refers to. So the whole sort of theology is based in the occult religions of, uh, that are religions of knowledge, of lost knowledge that they're trying to bring back. And this is the theology that is being matched up with uh, the AI through the development of quantum mechanics and then by extension quantum computing. So I mentioned this Atma particle and this is one of the things that they are searching for. So when you get the superficial God particle that they're looking for or the other names for the type of particles, that may be part of what they're looking for. But the Atlas detector is specifically looking for dark par particles that uh, are invisible. That's why they call them dark. Um, and dark matter interacts through a mediator particle. So that's part of the science. And it has a what they call a super partner uh, that is uh, sort of understood as this dark particle or uh, known in the Atma particle as the uh, in, in, known in, in, in the, uh, Ved, uh, the Indian Vedic religions as the Atma or the Atman particle. So they're looking for this. Um, and it is an elementary particle that, as I say, is dark or invisible. And what's important about this Atman particle is that it is said to contain the eternal knowledge and is omnipresent. It is the soul, the consciousness, and the communicator of instructions, information, decisions, and knowledge, uh, right from the Brahman. And it is, or through the Brahman, I should be more accurate, and works through all particles uh, through quantum entanglement. So what it's able to do is through quantum entanglement is, is to transmit that knowledge through the universe instantaneously and perpetually. And it is invisible. 
and it merges with particles that science are learning to measure. And so this is the particle that they're looking for. And this is the particle that they call as the life force or the undiscovered particle, the consciousness of one entity, as they like to call it, coming out of the theology of, of, of the Vedas. And it is part of the knowledge that projects the physical universe as a matrix or a hologram uh, using a quantum computer, a super one of angelic technology that we can't even imagine at this point to create the physical world. And so why that is important is, is that as we get closer to the end time, we're going to see this technology start to merge um, and into the beast system and part of the implant system just as cryptocurrency is going to be part of that system and it's a currency that is being developed to be able to work with ai and in different dimensions um with the technology that is just absolutely scary and so it's it, again it's a if we have time we'll talk about it. if not maybe another show um, but i want, want to talk a little bit about what's recorded in the bhagavad gita uh, in terms of this atma particle and i'll, I'll just read a, a couple of passages there there's lots of them sure. to cover off some of this in, in 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 the new book as well um so <clears throat> scientists believe that this knowledge as i said is in every particle and it's the divine consciousness and in 8.3 of the the Bhagavad Gita, it says, the main essence of a man is the Atman. And it's the Brahman dwelling within each of us in terms of the Brahman theology of that religion. And it's he who perceives, knows uh, the consciousness with the Atman becomes part of the divine consciousness, uh, part of the supreme self. This, they become part of the divine essence. The divine essence is the counterfeiting of the female aspect of the mother goddess as a counterfeit of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom. And this is the knowledge of that wisdom that it will be providing in the beast system that comes from all dimensions that is part of that violation of not only the laws of creation, but sins against the Holy Spirit that's going to happen with that mark of the beast and that system as it starts to come together under Babylon in a system in preparation for Antichrist. And so people today will use yoga to meditate into the Atman and into a state of solitude where you're bringing the divine essence into yourself and you can become sort of one with the universe as we might understand it in sort of Western understanding. And so the divine Atmos, Atman is the divine spirit that's in your body. But understand, it's not the Holy Spirit, and that's the counterfeit aspect and, and the danger. And the divine Atman can reside in bodies, but does not interfere with the body. That's in verses 13 that I'm into now, um, or chapter 13 uh, that I'm into now. For people who are wanting to, to, to check where, where it's coming, where I'm getting this from. And it is in your body as in like invisible parties, but as a spirit 
spirit from another sort of dimension, as, as you would understand that. And it's the source of everything. It is the source of the superior Brahman. And it is the supreme spirit or the universal life force, as they will also express in it. And so we need to understand how the occult religions works with science, because this is technology that's going to be offering us immortality. Yes. Going into the end time. And that immortality is not only immortality in the physical world, so it's going to have things that are going to work at the quantum level, at the bot level, at the building block level to give you yourself either the ability to repair your body or new bodies or to cure disease or all of the above, or they'll have other bodies like a sleeve is one of those series that was out a couple of years ago that they would just give you a new sleeve or a new body or a new clone body so that you could have physical immortality. But that whole healthcare system as the Davos crew the committee of 300 whom they report to and the secret societies and the bloodlines want to implement and they believe it'll be implemented through the healthcare system because people will demand it because of the catastrophes aka pestilences that will be coming and other things to give them immortality and as a promise with their oath of loyalty with the mark of the beast that um, they, that they will take, that they will deliver that in return. But as we know in Genesis, the book of Genesis in the Garden of Eden, and as the Nahash working with Satan was communicating to Adam and Eve that if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will be like God. Right. So knowledge is that other component. And in the occult belief system, godhood is immortality and unlimited knowledge. And you have to provide that access to this Atman particle to deliver both that will come through the, the chip system. And of course, the other thing that they're wanting to do is they want to get in and un unlock the abyss and let the fallen angels out so that right. they can bring about that rendezvous with destiny. So... All of this sounds eerily akin to the virgins of Nimrod. And all of this is playing out what happened in prehistory and, and versions of reruns of that. And we're going to see the ultimate rerun as we get closer to the end time. Yeah. And, you know, with regard to the New Age promises, you know, they say the end Satan. Uh, the Luciferian ideology, they want to teach that everyone can aspire to be the Christ, that they can all be gods themselves, which is the first lie, you know, that caused the rebel angels to fall and to be cast out with Lucifer at the very beginning uh, in regard to the war in heaven. So it's, you know, it's the same thing the promise of kingdoms to rule over um, themselves and and then the the whole thing of them also demoting Yahushua to be you know an ascended master part of the great white brotherhood and that he's a great prophet and teacher like all of the others that had come uh, you know previous to him and so the it's the same kind of lies all wrapped up in 
brought forth and in repeat. And so, yeah, that's that's what we're seeing. Um, we had a question from the chat in regard to who is funding the the CERN and the project, and uh, you know, uh, as far as the money and the finances. Um, it's European money for the most part, and it's funneled through the Committee of 300. If you look at the Thelemic tree of hierarchical organizations, they're above the Rosicrucians, which are above the Illuminati, which are above the Freemasons, but below the Council of 33 and below the 13 families, but it's the Council of 300 families, of royal blood families, and European families specifically. They also have reporting to them the IMF, they also have the World Bank that reports to them. They also have uh, the Club of Rome that we've talked about that split the world into 10 different groups. And uh, the Bilderbergers also report to them and, and many others. Just those branches are sort of around tree going to that, around the tree going to the tree trunk organization of the Committee of 300. So they control through the G20 and the B20 that met. And the B20 is the Davos crew that met, met with the G20 in October. They control in those nations and those organizations um, 85 to 90 percent of both the uh, world GDP and world trade. So all of that is working together. That's how powerful that group right. is. So it's it's very important. I also wanted to underline what you're saying about that that great lie. Um, yes. It, you know, in the Up and Chad's mantra, it says each life is the whole of existence and I am the West above and below and the entire world and the Brahmin. And the Brahmin is, uh, as you become one with the Brahmin, you yourself become the supreme creator and person and ruler of the world. So it's about becoming godhood through that whole knowledge understanding and so we're going to see a lot of that type of theology it's going to be presented in ways that will be sweet and easy to digest because it's going to play to everybody's weaknesses but as with the scroll on the book of revelations it may be good to eat but it will go bad in your belly uh -huh. and i thought that was a good analogy that's great <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and so, you know, the whole theme of I will exalt my throne above the stars and the clouds of God. I will be like the most high. Again, it's going back to the very beginning, the fall of the angels, the, the rebellion, the insurgency. It's a, the same thing repackaged. But um, and a reminder, Gary will be joining us in two months uh, here in Atlanta, uh, in Dunwoody for the sacred word revealed conference and we do invite all of you if you can to come and uh share a meal and break bread and conversation and share hugs with us we'd love to be able to put a uh you know a face to the names that we see in chat we appreciate all of you so very much uh gary we've got just a few minutes remaining to turn it back over to you for a final comment yeah, I mentioned early on that uh, cryptocurrency is part of the developing technologies. And recently, starting in November, the reserve banks are moving in to take control on it. The initial cryptocurrency was to pioneer it, to sort of get it out to, to work with it. So expect to see that become 
the version of world currency and it'll be a race between China and the East with the Russians and the West to develop this new technology. So you're going to get caught up in into that that rivalry that's going to, again, deceive people into going with it. And what's important about that is that it's still developing. And now in recently, in the last couple of years, you have AI that is now working in um, concert in many companies uh, with uh, cryptocurrency. And uh, it is working in concert to um, correlate through its ability to supercompute the blockchains and put those into different groups of information. And the blockchaining is part of that whole cryptocurrency and nothing can be erased from the blockchain of cryptocurrency and it follows and this is the same technology with ai that is now you see another lane being developed as the g20 and the b20 were putting out and mr schwab uh, was uh, gleeful in that he needs a complete new reset and we need this new vaccine passport to be introduced mm. that will track things like your environmental footprint and it's going to work with the technology of Alibaba of China that they put in those social credits system with so that if you want to have to own property, take a loan, do certain things, you have to meet a social credit score. That's stored on the blockchain as with all of this other type of information that can never be destroyed with AI working with it. And you're going to see a, probably a couple lanes for a while with a passport. Um, and with the uh, the cryptocurrency now starting to be moved into by governments to be introduced, and then that will come as that quantum level type of currency. Now, the quantum level of computing has the ability to decode the cryptograms of cryptocurrency. So in order to make that invisible, so there's no digital footprint or crypto uh, footprint, it's going to have to be ready to merge with the Atma particle that's invisible, so there won't be that invisibility except for those who control the information. If you want to buy or sell, which is what it tells us in the scripture, that's get exactly the where it's heading. Yeah. The mark of the beast is is angelic technology. Yeah. Hey, Gary, it was a fantastic show, brother. I so enjoy coming on and sharing topics and conversation with you. Thank you for making time and availability to all of us and being such a great friend to Sacred Word and to myself and my family, man. We we really love you and appreciate you and look forward to getting a chance to see you here in a short bit. Oh, absolutely. And thank you for inviting me. You people are always the best to, to, to work with and always welcoming and uh, you know, to be able to come at things to with open minds, not you know, you know, and not being sort of unbiblical, but with open minds to understand things allows us to set things in what we see today and hopefully make some sense for people out there. So to be able to work with your with people like yourself, Zen, it's uh, absolutely a pleasure and uh, an honor. So thank you for inviting me. Thank you, brother. Great blessings. Shalom all. Good night. On May 26 through 28, 2023, 
Sacred Word Revealed comes to Atlanta, Georgia. Purpose to unveil esoteric controversies. Conflicts abound in this final generation. After many millennia of deceptive propaganda replacing truth, that's why we must join together as a remnant to sharpen one another as iron sharpeneth iron. To test all things and to declare together openly, the Messiah is Adonai. Get your tickets now at sacredwordrevealed.com and join us for another exciting, rejuvenating, and challenging weekend of worship, fellowship, and discussion with the truth-seeking community.